You don't know flag. You Don't Know Flat, a podcast full of stories about retro gaming, retro computing, video games, arcade games, and technology from a guy who was there and still is. My name is Rob O'Hara, but for the next 30 minutes, you can call me Flat. Episode 162, 720 degrees. Greetings and salutations, listeners, and welcome to another episode of You Don't Know Flat. Today is July 8th, 2015, and I'm your host, Rob Flack O'Hara. On today's episode of You Don't Know Flack, we will be talking about the classic arcade game, 720 Degrees from Atari. I did the show notes of this week's show on my Commodore 64 in Geos, which is something I I haven't really done before. So let me get those uh, started loading up, and while that's loading, we'll have a few uh, minutes here to chat during this episode's loading time. Loading time. Loading time. Loading time. Well, first of all, happy birthday. This is a very popular uh, birthday time of year. Uh, I was scrolling through Facebook. A lot of times I don't, uh, uh, I see these little happy birthdays to people or whatever, but I saw that it was Debbie Harry's 70th birthday, and man, did that make me feel old. Uh, Debbie Harry is, of course, the lead singer of Blondie. Uh, When I was a kid, my dad, well, both my parents had uh, sizable record collections, which they combined, and I had access to as a kid. And I remember going in and pulling out those uh, early Blondie records and and listening to those and and staring (laughs) at Blondie on the front cover. So uh, hearing that she just turned 70 made me feel old. Um, but it was also last week was uh, my wife's birthday and my daughter's birthday. So it's a very, uh, uh, crammed week, uh, celebration of birthdays. And we actually, uh, kind of combined, uh, both of their birthdays this year. Uh, so that, that was kind of fun. And, um, my wife and I actually last week, uh, she had a, uh, we were in Fort Worth for the week. She had a, a work meeting in Fort Worth. And so I just took, vacation time. And instead of a normal hotel, we got a bed and breakfast. And so we kind of had a, a birthday week, uh, she and I together, and we went and did a lot of, um, thrift shopping, thrifting, and went to some antique places and, uh, just had a really good week. So, but, uh, it's always, always good to get back home and get in bed and then, uh, get in your own bed, <laughs> I should say. And, uh, now she's gone, uh, this week to Washington DC. She travels a lot for her job and, uh, so I have been on kid duty for the last few days and, and still tonight, but, uh, uh, she comes home. My wife comes home tomorrow and tomorrow. So tomorrow's when she gets to come home. And, uh, uh, sometimes it's kind of a 50, 50. Sometimes I try to get all the house stuff done, like get all the dishes caught up and get the house cleaned and all that. And sometimes she comes home and it's kind of a surprise. So <laughs> when she comes home, it will kind of be a surprise because the house is a wreck. Uh, but she doesn't listen to the show, so I, I won't tell her that I was uh, up here, upstairs recording on the podcast. So, but yeah, lots of birthdays, and we had the uh, birthday of our country on the Fourth of July. Hope everybody had a safe Fourth uh, of July. We're not big um, fireworks people for the most part. Uh, when I was a kid, my dad used to always say that. Uh, setting off fireworks was kind of like lighting your money on fire. And, and that's something that's stuck with me through the years, you know? So, um, uh, I always wait until the, the day of the fourth to buy firecrackers for the kids. We always buy them like the, the cheapest, like, I think we got a $20, uh, $20 pack or something like that. And then, uh, uh, and then we wait till the 4th of July, the actual day of the 4th, so that they're two for one. <laughs> and, uh, this year we were, we were buying the, uh, the kids, their little packs of fireworks. And, and my wife mentioned to the cashier, she's like, I never know if this is going to be, you know, if we spend too much on the kids or not enough. And she said, well, the people in front of you just spent $3,000. Um, and then there's a, an area here called fireworks city, USA. 
Uh, and that's where people go to buy all the really big stuff. And, you know, of course, it's the type of fireworks stand. It's an indoor place that has shopping carts and everything. So, uh, yeah. So our, our $20 seemed uh, uh, pretty paltry in comparison to that. But however you celebrate the 4th, I hope you, uh, like I said, I hope uh, you had a good a good weekend celebrating. And I hope that uh, uh, you think about all the things that uh, this country offers us. I, I can tell you over the last few weeks there's been – a lot of stuff on Facebook, uh, you know, people posting different things and, and things they agree with and don't agree with. And, and, uh, it's not just the, it's, it doesn't bother me when people post something that say, I believe in this. It's when they post and they say, well, I hate what you believe in or whatever. And it just really, uh, seems like Facebook gives a, a voice, not just to, uh, the people with, with positive, uh, messages and thoughts. And that's something that we, uh, have to live with, with, uh, freedom of speech is that it, it gives freedom of speech to everyone, not just the people we agree with, but uh, it was a little overwhelming <laughs> on Facebook for a couple weeks. So, uh, I hope that, uh, uh, like I said, everybody had a good fourth and it makes me, th- makes me think, uh, appreciate all the things that we do have, uh, the freedoms and, and the, the, uh, things, the ability to do what we want to do and say what we want to say in this country. So, uh, let's see what else I have on my list here. I I've done, uh, made some changes, uh, to some podcasts, uh, that I'm on. Um, we're not going to be recording rusted metal anymore. I, I I don't think I ever got any feedback from that show, so I'm not sure, uh, how many people were actually listening to that, but, uh, rusted metal was a podcast, uh, that I was doing with, uh, the Zerbinator and he and I were talking about eighties, uh, heavy metal and rock bands and, and we're not doing that show anymore. Uh, but, uh, the one that everybody's been emailing me about over the last few days is no quarter. And, uh, everybody's been asking me what happened, uh, you know, what, what's the story, what's going on with you and Mike. And so, uh, since you've tuned in, uh, to, you don't know, flack, I will go ahead and spill the beans, uh, and give you the insight to all the drama. And that is, uh, that there is no drama. I know people love a good story, but the reality is, is that, uh, uh, Mike has a lot more free time on the weekends and that works out better as a recording time for him. And, uh, I'm, uh, married with two kids. And so it's a lot easier for me to record during the week and my weekends just really fill up. So, uh, it just, um, you know, I was glad that I know that, um, uh, Carrington and Mike did 120, I think 125 shows together, which is incredible for any podcast to do a, a weekly show 125 times in a row. And, um, you know, when, when Carrington stepped down from the show, the guys contacted me and, uh, I, I was, I'm just super thrilled and honored that they even thought of me, that they considered me, uh, to come on the show. And Mike and I did, I looked back, we did 11 shows together. It seems like we did, uh, a lot more than that, but I enjoyed every one of them. Uh, I like shows like that. It's just, it's the same. I like doing that show for the same reason that I like doing Sprite Castle, uh, which is we have these old systems. We have MAME, which will play virtually every classic arcade game. Um, you know, we have Commodore. I have several different ways to play Commodore games, uh, either on the real system or on emulators or, or, you know, different, different methods. But we take that stuff for granted. I mean, I have every known Commodore 64 game that's ever been captured on a single SD card and it's sitting connected to my Commodore 64. And, and I still don't go in there and turn it on every day. I don't go in there and play, you know, it's really a, a marvel of technology that I have all that, you know, and I've, uh, had a lot of them like on my laptop. I've had different problems with that. I have a, a different solution that may be uh, coming my way soon, but, uh, my, my laptop, uh, I don't know if it's, if it's too slow or if it just doesn't have the, the space or whatever, but, uh, you know, the, the point is, is that those shows make you go back in and play those games, you know, and, and it's almost like an obligation, you know, each week, uh, Mike and I would pick what game we were going to play for the next show. And sometimes they were classics that I love. Sometimes they were games, uh, that I'd never heard of that I turned out to really like, you know, I was glad I discovered uh, Mr. Do on the show. Sometimes they were classics that I didn't fall in love with, like, uh, the last episode we did, which was Pingo. And then sometimes, uh, the games were just out and out stinkers, but no matter what it was, uh, those type of, of podcasts get you to, to go in and play those old games again and, and really look at them with a critical eye. And so I, I really enjoyed that. And I, I am very appreciative 
of the opportunity that they gave me. And so I don't really know what the future of No Quarter is. I've heard uh, some different things. So I'm kind of in the dark like the rest of you guys. We'll wait and see. But um, whatever Mike chooses to do, uh, I know that um, just from the, the messages on Facebook and email and Twitter and everything else, I know there are a lot of you guys out there that, that listen to the show. So thank you, uh, everybody, uh, for listening to the episodes I was on. Uh, and, uh, like I said, thanks again to, uh, Mike and Carrington for, for giving me that chance. So, uh, but anyway, no more, no, no quarter. Is that a double negative? No, no quarter for me. Um, <laughs> uh, but the fun thing about that is that gives me, uh, that frees up some time in my slot now. And, um, so I've been wanting to do a, uh, a bad, movie podcast. Actually, I want to do a, a podcast about bad movies, not a bad podcast about movies. Uh, and so I'm putting together something right now. I may or may not have guests come on. If I do, uh, I don't know. I'm going to have it be a little bit um, uh, looser than what I've done in the past. Um, so, so we'll just see. But if you like um, bad B movies and things like that, then I think you'll like that. I'm not going to drop the name just quite yet because I'm still getting everything set up. But maybe um, on the next episode of Sprite Castle or uh, definitely by the next time I do You Don't Know Flack, uh, I'll have some announcements on that. You can always watch uh, uh and find out uh, any news on that stuff as too. And also, uh, if you want to find out what shows I'm currently doing, what different podcasts, uh, what things I'm recording or whatever, you can go to robohara.com forward slash podcasts. Uh, and that will has a list of uh, whatever shows I'm doing that has all the all the information for feeds and and uh, you know RSS feeds and iTunes links and all that stuff like that. So, as always, if you have any feedback about this episode or any other episodes of the show in general, you can email your feedback to me at robohara at robohara.com or leave a message for me on the you don't know flack voice mailbox, which is four zero five four eighty six YDKF. You can contact me on Twitter at Commodore, or you can find me on Facebook. Uh, you don't know Flack has its own page, which is facebook.com forward slash YDKF. And that sound right there means the show notes have completely loaded. So let's go ahead and start talking about this week's, uh, you know, it's funny that I'm say this week's game because that's normally what I say on Sprite Castle and it's what we say on uh, No Quarter. And I don't normally uh, dedicate entire episodes of You Don't Know Flack to single arcade games, but uh, this is one of my favorites and it's uh, a game I've been wanting to talk about for a long time and I have a lot of stories to go with it. So that's that's why I decided to do this. So let's go ahead and get started talking about Atari's 720 Degrees. Back in the mid-1980s, I began organizing Commodore 64 copy fests. These were parties where friends of mine would bring their computers, bring all their discs, and we would all set up our computers and walk around and swap uh, and copy games. So basically, it was a more efficient way to pirate software. (laughs) Modems were slow. At the time, uh, I'm sure the fastest Commodore modem at that time was 1,200 baud, and most of us had 300 baud modems. Uh, so sending one single disk uh, across the modem could take uh, an hour or two. And so uh, if we all waited and got together at one time, we could copy a whole bunch of games all at one time. So I had a friend of mine, an older uh, gentleman. When I say older, this guy was in his 20s. I was 13. Uh, and I had talked him into renting this uh, uh, common room at a hotel, like a, a party room. And that's where we had uh, one of our first copy fests. And there were a couple of guys. So my my role in this was to go through all the local Commodore BBSs and find people that had uh, software, connections to software, and get those people. We didn't want people that were only going to show up with blank disks. You wanted people that were going to show up with software so there'd be things for everybody to copy. And so I got these two guys to to, uh, show up, and their names were Mark and Ben. Uh, Mark went by Umbra Sprite, and Ben went by Mr. X. Now, the thing about these two guys, first of all, they had the coolest mullets 
I had ever seen. Um, this was at a time, you know, when I was 13, my, you know, how you always fight with your parents. They make you get haircuts. You don't want a haircut. They make you cut it, you know, get it out of your eyes. Uh, both of these guys had bangs that were, you know, <laughs> down to their eyebrows or so. Uh, and the back of their hair was, was well past their shoulder. So, uh, I really thought, uh, you know, these were cool guys. Uh, in fact, Mr. X, uh, showed up, uh, I remember he was wearing an army jacket, and uh, he had driven a car there, and I found out later that he was 15, <laughs> that both of them, I think Mark might have been 14, and Ben uh, was 15, and they had driven, <laughs> borrowed somebody's car or something. So I always thought that was really cool. Um, but anyway, so they came to this first copy fest, uh, and they said, hey, we, we know this other guy that runs a BBS, and that guy uh, turned out to be my my friend Justin, one of my best friends. Uh, so Justin and I met, he, I invited him to the next copy fest. And so that's where, uh, Justin and I, um, met in person for the first time. Uh, so that would have been in gosh, 1986, uh, eighth grade. And, uh, I talked to Justin, uh, two nights ago. So <laughs> we're still, we're still best friends. So, uh, uh, Justin and I really hit it off and, um, he lived in a town that was a, he lived in Norman, Oklahoma. It's home of the uh, Oklahoma Sooners, OU, uh, uh, college. And, uh, since it was 45 minutes away, my parents would take me and drop me off and then his parents would bring me home. So a lot of times after Friday, after school, my parents would take me to Norman and drop, uh, drop me off there. And then his parents would bring me home on Sunday. So Justin and I had run of the town and Justin was a, a only child and so he had a lot more freedom than I had. When I started visiting uh, uh, him and Norman, he had turned 14 and had a, a Honda scooter. I was still 13 at the time. Uh, and so uh, my mom said, you know, you're not to ride on that scooter with him. And I said, absolutely not. You know, and the minute she dropped me off and left, I hopped on the back of the scooter and we went all over Norman, which is a really large uh, college town. So we, we would go here and there and his mom, uh, Justin's mom didn't really care when we came or when I remember, uh, one time, uh, it was like one or two in the morning and, and Justin said, you want to go get some donuts? And, and there was a, a 24 hour, uh, grocery store that had donuts and we hopped on the scooter and, and zipped down, you know, went a mile down the street and went in and got donuts and some, uh, Dr. Pepper or something and went back to his house. That was stuff that that would not happen in my house. <laughs> we would not be leaving at two in the morning to go get donuts. Uh, so anyway, Justin and I, um, uh, would, would just drive all over Norman on his scooter, you know, and, and we would go anywhere. Uh, so I, I guess Mark may have been a year, year or maybe two years older than us, but, um, uh, in the spring, I think of 1987, uh, Mark got a job at the Goldmine Arcade in the mall, which was uh, probably a mile away from Justin's house. If you're not familiar with the Goldmine, the Goldmine was a, a chain of arcades that were, I think they were all in malls. Um, I'm not really sure, but uh, the front of the store would be decorated like a mine. It would have um, uh, like those wooden timbers that looked like it was supporting, you know, the front and uh, Goldmine would be in yellow letters. Um, and, and so, and you would go in and it would be really dark, uh, like you were in a mine, you know. And so Mark got a job at the gold mine and Justin and I went to go see him and uh, they had just got in 720, uh, 720, the technical name of the game, uh, the official name is 720 degrees. It does say 720 and it has the little circle uh, up there with, for degrees. So the name is actually 720 degrees, but almost everyone just refers to the game as 720. So, um, and, and where the name comes from is the, uh, basically a skateboard maneuver where you would jump in the air. And, uh, you know, if you turn all the way around, that would be 360 degrees. So if you did that twice in the air, uh, that would be a 720. You would do 720 degrees. Uh, at the time, that seemed like it would be impossible in real life to actually do a 720. You know, the uh, McTwist, you may have heard of a McTwist, uh, which is a skateboard move, which is a 540. So that's one and a half turns. And the McTwist uh, during the mid-80s was considered to be a super difficult trick. So nobody ever thought that they would uh, do 
uh, a 720 or nobody had ever done one. In fact, um, uh, it was the late eighties that Tony Hawk pulled off the first 720, uh, in a competition. Uh, and then, um, almost two, well, gosh, I guess it was 10 years later. Uh, he actually did a 900, which is a two and a half turn, uh, rotation. He did that at the 1999 X Games. So at this point, you know, 720 kind of seems, uh, I wouldn't call it passe. Not like everybody's pulling 720s, but uh, it's definitely something that's been done now. So when I walked in, I mean, I was huge into skateboarding. Skateboarding had really uh, got my attention. I had, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't write any of this in the show notes, but I had this crappy skateboard of Veriflex, which was like the Walmart brand skateboard. And I couldn't do any tricks on it because it was so heavy and the wheels were crappy and they wouldn't roll. And uh, this guy that lived uh, on the other side of my neighborhood uh, said he was getting a new skateboard uh, and needed some money. And so he sold me a Neil blender uh, and it was uh, pink the the whole deck was pink and it had blue grip tape on the top and uh, blue wheels and it was the first like uh you know actual quality skateboard uh, that i had and i i skated that thing so much i learned how to ollie and and do you know really simple tricks there was a a gas station uh near my neighborhood that and it was really the only thing that was near my neighborhood and so we would uh, me and a couple friends would go up there with our skateboards and there was a, a curb and there was a parking block off to the side where we would try to do rail slides and grinds and, and, uh, you know, things like that. So we, that was one of our little skate spots, but I was really hooked on skateboarding. There was uh, ESPN, uh, had a couple of different skate specials and I still have those. I recorded them on VHS and, and I would watch those, you know, and I would dream of, uh, going to California, you know, where I thought every half pipe in the world must be in California. Um, I had a, a neighbor that had a quarter pipe, which was a, uh, just at the end of his driveway up against the garage. So you would, uh, you know, go as fast as you could up the driveway and then try to go all the way up. And all we would do is kick turns. That's all you could do is go up and then turn around and come straight back down. So, but, uh, but we love doing that. So anyway, uh, the 720, arcade cabinet is one of the most unique arcade cabinets out there. Um, just from a physical description, it has a large monitor. It has a 25 inch monitor. Uh, and then there's the control panel and then it goes into this really skinny pedestal that goes down to the ground and then there, and it widens back out at the bottom. So it's on a little platform. I'm pretty sure that platform's got concrete in it. I don't know why this thing is uh, so heavy. This cabinet is, uh, it's really heavy. And, and more than that, it, it's awkward to move. So you have this big monitor right in front of you. And then, uh, on top of the cabinet, it looks like a boom box, which is built in another thing that was uh, really popular in the eighties. And, um, Instead of a, a marquee that lights up, there's a light inside where the cassette tape would go in the boom box, and it has a 720 cassette tape in it. And also, uh, the speakers for the cabinet are in the speakers where the boom box would be. So it's a very unique-looking cabinet. There's no other cabinet uh, that really looks like it. Now, our friend Mark, who worked at the arcade, obviously had the keys uh, to open up the cabinet and give us credit. So he gave uh, Justin and myself a whole bunch of credits that first time that we went to Goldmine and we played 720 for what seems like hours. Now, if you've never played uh, 720, basically you are a skateboarder, a little skate punk, uh, and you arrive in Skate City. And Skate City is this big... Um, open world, like a free area that you can skate. There's all kinds of things to go around and there's little ramps in the middle and skate, uh, paths and, and jumps and, and places where you can do tricks and all these things. You'll have to do that, uh, later on to make some points. But, um, uh, the, the outline of the city, there are four different skate parks and there are four different equipment booths. Uh, now you start the game with three park tickets and you have to earn more tickets, uh, through your score or if you get so much money, uh, and a actually 
actually, I guess you could say that the, your score relates to your money. <laughs> so uh, it's mostly just about getting in points. But you do start with three. Uh, but if you haven't been uh, earning tickets throughout the game, then uh, you're going to have trouble. You're not going to be able to get into the park. Uh, so the easiest way to earn those tickets is to get gold in each event. So when you go to an event, uh, you'll be, uh, well, there's, there's four different, uh, ones. I'll talk about them here in a second, but, uh, for each one, you can either not qualify or you can get a bronze, silver, or gold sticker. And depending on uh, which one you do, you get bonus points and, and then that will get you more park tickets. So if you want to keep playing, continue playing, especially past that first level, uh, you're going to have to get good enough to get gold on these parks. And there are four levels, and each level has the same four parks. So there are 16 competitions in total. Sounds very easy. Very few people are able to uh, get through all four levels. Now, the other thing you have working against you during all this, not only do you have to earn those points to get into parks, uh, you know, so you can earn the tickets to get into those parks, I should say, uh, but there's also a timer that's counting down. Otherwise, you could just skate around Skate City forever and uh, earn points. And when that timer gets all the way down to zero, you will hear a booming digitized voice say these words. If you do not get to a park in a uh, very quickly after hearing that, you will encounter the killer bees. And the killer bees will uh, come out. First, they'll come out as a cloud of bees and start chasing you. And then eventually they will turn into a shape. Uh, sometimes they turn into scissors or an arrow or a hypodermic needle. And um, uh, then they will move very quickly and they will kill you. Uh, and then at that point, you'll have to put in, uh, insert another coin to continue the game. You have uh, two buttons. One is for jump and one is for kick. Uh, if you're just on uh, flat land and you hit jump, then you will uh, do a little jump. It's, uh, I guess they call it, I think it's a boneless, if I remember right, where you put one foot down on the ground and, and push up and then you kind of grab onto the board and keep your other foot on the uh, on the board itself. And the other one is kick, which is a not, not kick like an attack, but kick is in, uh, you know, pushing your foot on the ground to move forward. So you're constantly pressing the kick button when you're in skate city, you have to kick, 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 kick like that, uh, to move around. And, um, uh, when you get into the, the different obstacles and stuff, you can jump, uh, jump over things. There's some little, um, Oh, almost like a landscape uh, pond type things, and you can jump over those. And, and as you turn and do different things, you'll earn more points. Uh, so while you're you're going through Skate City, you're not necessarily just going from point A to point B. Uh, you're also doing little tricks and trying to uh, earn score. But uh, there are map buttons where you can uh, ride over the map, and it will show you the map of Skate City. But Really, all you need to do is uh, work your way around the outside wall of Skate City, either clockwise or counterclockwise, just just uh, you know however you decide. Um, so those four uh, different events: there is the jump, there's the downhill, there's the ramp, and there's the slalom. Uh, so each of those are uh, separate events. The jump. Uh, you just go down a big uh, uh, series of ramps, and there's a little diamond that shows you where you need to jump from, and you jump, and, and you turn. You do so many rotations. If you are still rotating when you land, you'll wipe out, and you won't get any points, so you have to be sure not to over-rotate. Uh, the downhill uh, is just a series of um, platforms, and you you know as, as you play this game more, you learn the patterns. You know Once you learn the... Uh, the the pattern the way to move through the downhill or the slalom which is a kind of like the downhill except for there are flags that you have to go in between and and uh, everything's presented in this isometric you know 3d kind of view so you don't see the flags until right when they come up but once you've played this game once or twice or you know a thousand times uh you know where the flags are and so you can you can line up and hit everything and then there's the ramp, which is uh, a lot of people's favorite event, which is a, a half pipe. And it's, uh, you know, like I said, it's in that isometric view. And so you just ride back and forth. There's not a lot of tricks you could do. I mean, you could just spin on each side, you know. But uh, uh, if you do it enough times and you and you land and you go, uh, uh, you know, keep your speed up, then you can do enough rotations and stuff to uh, earn enough points to get gold medals. So. 
This game was converted uh, to several different systems. It was converted to the Amstrad CPC, uh, the Commodore 64, which I'll talk about in just a second, the Game Boy Color in 1999, uh, the NES has a version, and the uh, ZX Spectrum also got a version. The ZX Spectrum version looks terrible. Uh, <laughs> I've never played it, but I just looked it up on YouTube, uh, and it, it just looks awful. Commodore 64 actually has two versions of this game. I guess uh, a one company got the rights to release it in the U.S., and the other one got uh, the rights to release it in the U.K. And obviously, if you're just downloading games like we did, you got both versions. So the U.K. version is... Uh, they're they're different. I mean, they they look completely different. The UK version, everybody's kind of tall and skinny and and uh, moves faster. And um, on the the US version, it's like everybody's fatter <laughs> and uh, kind of moves slower and stuff. But they're they're both uh, interesting to play. But uh, I will say this, uh, and and I'll I'll reiterate. I'll stress this later in the episode. There's nothing nothing in the world like playing this on an original arcade cabinet. And one of the reasons uh, that that's the case is because of the controller. The controller is completely unique. There's no other game that has a controller like this, as far as I know. Um, it looks like a joystick. When you walk up to the cabinet, it looks like a joystick. But really, it's a spinner. Um, just like, you know, what you would see, like on like the spinner on Tron or uh, um, Tempest, something like that. Uh, but it has a joystick mounted to the top of it, and then the knob kind of rotates. So uh, you're spinning a spinner, but you're holding onto a joystick to do that. Uh, I have looked inside an original uh, 720 arcade cabinet. It is a optical spinner, I believe they call it. There's a it hooks to a bicycle chain. Um, I, I've looked on eBay just to replace the joystick mechanism, like the whole control. Those go for about 150. So there's nothing about this cabinet, uh, that's cheap, but it, that's a, um, uh, one reason why I think that you didn't see as many of these in arcades is people were rough as hell on these things. Uh, and once, if that bicycle chain <laughs> got off or the, the optical disc got messed up or whatever, uh, it was so expensive to repair that I think, you know, they, they just got, uh, uh, shuffled off and, you know, put in a back room or something. So now in 1994, I bought my first arcade game and that was elevator action. And based on that, I, uh, I said, you know what? I think I'd like to own more of these. So I went to an arcade auction. Uh, and then I, uh, I bought a couple more games that was, uh, oh boy, I'm trying to think here at the first auction. I think I bought Matt mania and I bought Shinobi. I think those were uh, the first two that I bought, but, um, but I, I, I said, you know, this is something I'd like to do. I'd like to start buying these arcade machines. I was getting them really inexpensive. Uh, and, uh, I thought this is something I'd really like to do. And it wasn't really the, the big hobby that it is now, you know? So, uh, so I sat down, I got out a spiral notebook and a Sharpie and I wrote down the top 20 games that I would like to own someday. Uh, they weren't, I don't know that they were in any order. Maybe they were They. Were, I mean, they were in the order that they came to me in my head. <laughs> so whichever one I thought of first, that's what went on the list. And, you know, as I went down, but, it, but it was 20, I numbered it one to 20 and thought I, these are the 20 games I want to own. The number one game on the list was seven twenty. That was the very first one that I wrote down. I said, someday I will own a seven twenty uh, arcade cabinet. Now, some of the games throughout the years uh, got removed from the list uh, for purely technical reasons. Uh, two of them are Tron uh, and Pole Position. Now, I have been told by people who collect games, and I'm, I'm not an expert on uh, – I'm an expert on buying them, <laughs> but I'm not an expert on maintenance by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, but I've been told – uh, in a joking manner, that there are only two kinds of pole position cabinets, those that are broken and those that are about to be broken. <laughs> so uh, I, I just heard too many nightmare stories, too many maintenance uh, you know, nightmares about pole position. So I marked that one off the list. And there were other driving games uh, that I really uh, liked as much as I liked pole position, you know, and so I, I ended up buying uh, some of those 
Um, Ivan Stewart off road. That was one that I liked, you know, more really than pole position. I ended up buying that, but, uh, that was another game that was on the list. In fact, um, looking through my list here, gauntlet commando rampart, uh, Matt mania, Cubert, road blasters, Shinobi, mortal Kombat. Uh, Ivan Stewart, I said, uh, Zaxxon, those are all games that were on that original list of 20 machines. And those are all machines that I owned. I owned every one of those. Uh, there were a couple of games that over time I just, uh, never, uh, ran into, or I decided not to purchase after uh, I found out about MAME and I built a MAME cabinet. Um, one of those is double dragon, uh, double dragon. I love double dragon. I, I liked it as a kid. Uh, you know, it's not super complicated. Um, but once you build a main machine that has three buttons, you realize that it plays double dragon just fine. And, uh, you know, uh, by the time I ran across uh, a double dragon for sale, I mean, I, there were a lot of conversions and things like that. And just, just, I never ran into a good one. You know, uh, ER Kung Fu is another one that was, uh, on that list. I just never ran into, but I did find a uh, karate champ and I owned that, you know? So, uh, so there was some juggling on the list. I mean, the list wasn't anything set in stone, but the number one game on the list, the number one slot was seven twenty, Uh, and I couldn't find one. I made that list in 1994, uh, when I bought my first arcade machine and I spent the next 15 years looking for, a working 720 uh, in good condition. Uh, I found one, uh, and it was had been converted to, I want to say, Battletoads. <laughs> and someone had spray-painted the whole thing black. It made me cry. I saw it at an auction. I almost bought it just because I thought I could convert it back, but I knew I wouldn't really be able to do that. Uh, so I didn't buy that one. I found one on eBay... Uh, that was in Denver and I had bid on it and, uh, I think I bid $600. Now to put this in perspective, Denver's about a 12 hour drive each way for me. So just doing some basic math, uh, it's going to cost me a minimum of $300 in gas. Plus I would have had to get a hotel for the night, uh, and you know, pay, uh, pay for the machine. So it really would have cost me about a thousand dollars to go get it. And that's, that's why I bid 600 because I figured it's going to cost me a thousand. Uh, and then I got outbid. So, uh, but I, I was willing uh, to do that one. So I, I have a friend of mine who buys and sells arcade games. Uh, uh his name is Dean and, uh, he calls me Every now and then, I'm going to do my Dean impersonation. <laughs> Dean is uh, uh, from across the pond, and so he calls me every now and then. And he says, "Hey, Rob, Rob, I got I got a deal for you, mate. It's got a fast deal. Got to get in right now." <laughs> he's always he's like a uh, he's kind of like he reminds me of the used car salesman of arcade stuff. He always comes up with stuff. Uh, and he's got feelers everywhere. So if you're looking for a, a machine, he can usually find one. And so he called me one night and said he had a 720 that it, uh, I don't remember where he got it, but he said he was going to list it the next day. And I said, hold it. I'm on my way. This was at 10 o'clock at night. Uh, I want to say it was a Thursday. I went to two different ATMs and took out the max amount of money, uh, and got cash and drove over to his house and picked it up. I mean, I got to his house by 1030 and, uh, we threw it in the back of my truck. It was in his garage. And, um, uh, he says, Oh, you like this game? And I said, yeah. And he, he, uh, coined it up and he said, I guess you go around and do this. And then he died. And I said, yeah, let me try. And I think I got to, uh, a couple of parks on level two. So I'd gone through like six parks and, and he was like, I, I guess you played this before. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, once or twice. I've played 720 before. Um, and like I said, this this has to be uh, the heaviest game I owned. It, it might be up there with uh, the Ivan Stewart 
off-road, and I had the three-player one, the one with three steering wheels, and I think this might have been heavier than that and smaller. Uh, I looked up uh, ggdb.com, which has a list of the weights of arcade games, and it has 720 listed at 399 pounds, basically 400 pounds. Um, Some of the other ones that it has listed, it says Gauntlet is 350 pounds, Dig Dug is 307 pounds, and Elevator Action, which is the first uh, cabinet I got, which is in a Taito cabinet, is 280 pounds. So this is 120 pounds heavier (laughs) than Elevator Action. Uh, And like I said, it's not just the weight. It's the awkward shape of this thing. It's very kind of top-heavy with that 25-inch monitor that came standard in these. Uh, My old arcade my home arcade that i had was in a shed in my backyard and there was no sidewalk to get there so to move games back there uh i had to first of all my my driveway was on a huge slope so i'd have to get the machines kind of like pull them uphill out of the bed of my truck so that was first uh and then i would have to get them on a dolly and wheel them across my front yard, which was, of course, like always full of potholes and stuff. And then there was a big uh, wooden fence between the front and backyard. And when the people installed it, they had a, a concrete like line all the way, you know, that the fence was in. So that I guess it was to keep the fence from uh, rotting near the grass or whatever. But it, it stuck up, so you had to like open the the gate and then get a running start to make it. <laughs> over this little concrete barrier thing and hope that the game didn't fly off, you know, uh, off the dolly. And then you had to go through the backyard, which was all uneven, and get to the the arcade. And then there were two uh, concrete steps to get up into the building uh, and finally get the machine in. So every step of the way, I was just terrified that this thing was going to fall over or get broken or something. But I did... uh, Managed to get it back there, and when I did, and plugged that thing in, and and uh, uh, coined it up, you know, and you get to hear the the music from Seven Twenty. Man, it was uh, it was all worth it. Now I was I was worried about finding parts for this thing. Now mine didn't need any parts; it needed the side art. That was all I needed. But uh, um, I found a guy online uh, that had had a cabinet. I guess he got rid of the cabinet and the monitor and stuff. Um, but, uh, I bought a spare control panel. Uh, like I said, the control panels go for about 150 with the, the joystick mechanism. And, uh, I just looked on eBay, a spare PCB, which I also bought, uh, is going for 229 for just the PCB. So this is, like I said, highly a collectible game. It was not just on my list, but, um, uh, on a lot of people's lists, you know? Uh, and then I bought, uh, I found a guy that had some original, uh, new old stock, I guess is what they say, um, NOS uh, side art. And I um, uh, purchased that and got that. So my cabinet uh, looks, you know, perfect. I mean, it looks basically brand new. Uh, let's see what else here. Oh, let's talk a little bit about uh, some of the collectibles that are out there for 720. There aren't a lot, but there's a few. First of all, I, I think um, one of the, the coolest things, if you are a collector of, uh, or not a collector, but a fan of the game 720, is uh, the cassette version of 720. And that, it doesn't matter what computer it's for, uh, the Amstrad or Amstrad, um, the Commodore 64, and the uh, ZX Spectrum all have the same thing. The game is on the front side of the cassette tape, but if you flip it over, the soundtrack to the game, the actual soundtrack that's in the arcade version is on the other side, and you can listen to it just like a regular cassette. Uh, now, the guys over at, um, oh gosh, what's the URL? Uh, 720 Zone. 720 Zone is a great uh, website, and I will put the, the link to that in the show notes. Uh, but 720 Zone is the website for information and links uh, relating to the game 720. Uh, They have this soundtrack online that you can download uh, for free in MP3 format. So you can just go there and download it if you don't have uh, the cassette tape. I had the cassette tape and I don't know where it is. Uh, I have the uh, uh, diskette version of 720 and I have the NES version, uh, boxed copies of both of those. But of course, neither of those 
uh, have the actual soundtrack that's only included on the uh, cassette tape version. A few years ago, uh, Nike, they have uh, SB Dunks. Uh, SB stands for skateboard. These are shoes uh, for skateboarders. They have them in high tops and low tops. Uh, and their Dunks line are uh, popular because they have different color combinations. Um, I have a few different pairs of SB Dunks. Uh, but uh, a few years ago, they released a pair of 720 uh, SB Dunks. And if you look at them, Man, they are ugly. <laughs> they have all the colors uh, from the actual arcade cabinet. They have uh, the the swoop on the side is pink. They have black. They have gray. They have the cyan uh, blue color and yellow. And then around the back edge, uh, they have the black and white checkerboard uh, that you can see. It's on the control panel of the game. Uh, all these colors also look like they're in the flyer. Uh, but I have a pair of those. Uh, if you look on eBay right now, you can get um, the 720 uh, Nike Dunks uh, for between $100 and $200, depending on uh, uh, what size you wear and just what happens to be out there. I have worn mine a few times. They really look like a really retro 80 bright color shoe. Um, oh, and I think it has uh, bright orange shoelaces <laughs> that came with it. That really tops it off, you know. Needed one more color in there. Now, as you uh, may or may not know, in 2011, uh, we moved from the old house that had the arcade to a new house, which uh, the new house is much bigger, but it doesn't have as big of a yard as the old house. And so there's no place in the backyard to put up a big shed full of arcade games. And so when we moved, I began selling all my old arcade games and uh, I sold... I think 25 of my 30 machines that I had at the end. Um, and a lot of them went to people that I knew were just uh, flipping them. Uh, I knew that I sold some to people that were just converting them into um, multi-cades. And, you know, at the end of the day, I don't know. I, I had it, it bothered me at the time, but if you're going to sell something, does it matter to you who you're selling it to? You know, if you're getting the money... Does it? Do you care what they're going to do with it? And I did at the time, but um, uh, I kept 720. It was one that I just couldn't part with. It was one that I had uh, searched for for so long, like I said, for 15 years, and I paid a lot of money for it, and I just couldn't get rid of it. You know, I had uh, had a few offers, but uh, just didn't want to get rid of it. So, but um, I, I kind of feel like hanging on to that machine is hanging on to the little bit I have left of the arcade collecting hobby, you know, I mean, just because that was, uh, literally my Holy grail that, that, um, machine was the one I'd hunted for, uh, just so long, you know? And, uh, so, so I, I just, I knew that if I was ever going to sell it, it would have to be to the right people. Uh, and it would have to be at the right price to be honest. And, um, I've been talking recently with the guys over at the, the Arcadia, Retrocade, that is the retro arcade uh, that's over in Arkansas. If you're anywhere in that area, uh, you should definitely uh, uh, stop by there in Fayetteville, Arkansas. And th there's a lot of great retro arcades, but uh, uh, Shay and uh, Andy and, and all the guys that are over there, Vic Sage, uh, uh, that, that hang out and work over there, and, and uh, John, uh, uh, they're just great people. You know, they just really have the right... Uh, approach. They have the right mentality. They're all about the games. They're all about uh, the family experience and stuff like that. And they uh, have been doing so well. It makes me so happy that they're doing so well that uh, they're actually expanding and they're looking for more games. And so I, I've been talking with the guys and I decided, you know, I threw out some prices and they said, that sounds great. So that is, uh, we, we made the deal <clears throat> and uh, that's where my uh, 720 cabinet is going. So I haven't, I haven't delivered it over there yet. And I'll tell you why, uh, I was going to take it over there during spring break, uh, in Oklahoma spring break, you know, uh, usually the weather's okay and it rained the whole week. And so I get off every other Friday, almost without a day for every other Friday since spring break that I haven't had plans. It has rained. I was thinking about making the trip last week. 
uh, over the 4th of July weekend uh, because I was off on the 3rd as well. It rained in Oklahoma on the 3rd and 4th of July, <laughs> which is just unheard of. Um, so I, I, maybe that's a sign <laughs> that I shouldn't be uh, taking that game out there. I don't really believe that, but uh, uh, it's definitely uh, uh, prevented me so far from delivering it over there. And so I, I – uh, after we, we agreed on the transaction, I, I moved all my games, the games I had left, uh, my commando, I'm taking that over there and a couple other things and, uh, plugged them all in just to make sure everything worked and everything still fired up. And then, uh, I sat out in my garage with no air conditioning with bugs out, you know, it's a summer in Oklahoma. And I just sat out there and I played 720. just, uh, one more little tour of skate city. It, it is a, Really fun game. The music is great. The graphics are great. Um, and it, it just really kind of represented skateboarding and that whole era for me. So uh, I, I will be sad to see it go, but I know that uh, it's going to some good guys. And I know more than that, that uh, other people will get to enjoy it. And that when I go out there, that I'll be able to enjoy it too. So anyway, that is... Uh, Basically, my memories and my story of Atari 720. That wraps up another episode of You Don't Know Flack. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you'd like to send me feedback about this episode or any other episode of You Don't Know Flack, you can email me at robohara at robohara.com. Contact me on Twitter at Commodork. Follow the show on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash you don't know flack. That's all one word. Or leave me voicemail on the You Don't Know Flack podcast hotline at area code 405-486-YDKF. You Don't Know Flack is available from iTunes, Stitcher Radio, the You Don't Know Flack RSS feed, and through throwbacknetwork.net, your home for quality retro podcasts. If you'd like to hear more podcasts from me, check out my Commodore 64 theme podcast, Sprite Castle, at SpriteCastle.com, and Throwback Reviews at ThrowbackReviews.com. Both of these shows are also available at ThrowbackNetwork.net. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time on another episode of You Don't Know Flat.